0: What I want you to do is to engage your heart at this point, as I pray, and I'm going to ask you to kind of engage your heart as I share from God's Word, and say, God, is there something in here that you want to speak to me about? And so, in a standing position, let's just pray before the Lord. Lord, we just um, open our hearts to you. And God, I I know there may be people here who are maybe searching and seeking and have never. You're kind of in those first steps of their journey with you, and there's some who have taken miles and miles with you. But God, we're, no matter where we're at, you are with us and along with us in that journey. So meet us here today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There's a novelist, was Scottish novelist, Robert Louis Stevenson. He is known for a couple different books, and one of them is the book Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You may be familiar with that. Another book he wrote was called Treasure Island. In Treasure Island, you may not realize that it. it's more than just a casino in Minnesota. It is actually a book that he authored at one point. And there's a story that goes that when he was a child, uh, and came from a rather wealthy family, he, his nanny was taking care of him. And so the nanny went into his room to put him to bed, to get him ready to go to bed. And she found him, this little boy, intently looking out the bedroom window. And she called to him, and he could just continue to stare in the darkness. He was kind of in a trance, just looking out the window. And she was a little interested in what it was so intriguing that he was looking at. And so she went over. She knelt beside him. He still didn't really turn. And and, and, and she said to him, she said, what are you looking at? What's, what's so interesting, little Robert? And the only thing she could see as she kind of looked over his shoulder was there was a lamplighter. And this was back in the... 1700s, there's a lamplighter who was going through um, lighting lamps. And in, in that day, they had these oil lamps and a guy would come with a, with a, a ladder and a, and a wick and, and he would tend to the lamps and he would light them. He was going from lamp to lamp and, and she was just looking to see what it was. And, and he, with a sense of awe, as she asked that question, turned to him and responded and said, Look, Nanny, there's a man punching holes in the darkness. I thought that was a really cool expression. This little kid's looking at this and and sees this guy who in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of, of this, where you can't see anything, he's actually bringing light. Maybe in a sense, bringing hope. This had such an impact on his life that later in his life, he wrote a poem called The Lamplighter. And in it, he he at one point says, "Now Tom, which must be his brother, would be a driver, and Maria, sister, go to sea. And my papa's a banker, as rich as he can be. But I, when I am stronger and choose what I am to do, old Leary, which is what they call lamplighters, old Leary, I'll go around at night and light the lamps with you. For we are very lucky with a lamp before the door." And Leary stops to light it as he lights so many more. And oh, before you hurry with ladder and with light, oh, Leary, see a little child and nod to him tonight. And I thought to myself as I um, read that, I thought, wow, that's a great expression of what we're talking about here at Christmas. This fact that we have the opportunity to experience the presence of God, for God Himself to come in with light into our own lives and then to be able to carry that presence into the life of other people that we might be able to punch holes in people's darkness. You know, those three D's of darkness is is this idea at times when when a person's discouraged or a person might be disappointed or they might be in a place of despair. And you have the opportunity where you live in in, in your family and where you are with your friends and where you might be where you work and where you might go to school. You have opportunities. There are people around you who are experiencing some, some darkness and you have the ability, as we've been talking this season, to bring the greatest present that they could ever experience, and that is the presence of God. That is the light of God. To be able to kind of come into the situation and punch a hole into the darkness of disappointment or discouragement or despair that might be going on in their life. The prophet Isaiah says that at a certain point, as he's considering and thinking about his people, his people were in a place of darkness. Some 400 or so years before Christ There was a time, really almost 600 years before Christ, where this prophet Isaiah is seeking God's will for his people. And we're told that he writes to a people who were longing for home. Life was dark for these people. They had been removed from their homeland and brought to Babylon. And and as he's talking and, and thinking about it, they were discouraged by all the moral and spiritual decay they saw around them they were disappointed and they were disappointed because due to their own sinful choices they were removed from their land and they were experiencing due to their sinful stubbornness this disappointment of being far from god and they despaired that they would never see the true light of day ever again they would be from his, far from his presence and Isaiah looked out into history, a uh, history not yet written, captivated by what the Spirit of God was causing him to see. And he looked at it, and he wrote about this great day to come with some simple words that we hear read every Christmas. Isaiah, with these words, and with the truth that he saw, punched a hole in the darkness, kind of like a spiritual lamplighter. Isaiah chapter 9. He writes these words, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, these northern areas of Israel, which were decimated when the enemy came in and God removed them from the land. But in the future, and this is years before this ever happens, he will honor Galilee of the nations, which is where Jesus um, was conceived and, and then also where he grew up later as a child, up in that Galilean area. By the way of the sea, the whole idea of the way of the sea was there was a path. There was a a major route of of travel that went by the way of the Sea of Galilee. Down, it says, beyond the Jordan, here's the Jordan. So everything up in there, this kind of hillbilly land, is somehow going to be deposited in that place a great light. And then these words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then drop down to verse six for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wrapped up in this little child is this bundle of light that would be all that every person longs for in their heart in a relationship with God. And so the presence of God is this whole idea that we've been talking about. The greatest present you can bring is the presence of God. And and kind of encouraging people this year to um think about being one of the greatest gifts you give is the presence of God as you carry it into the life of someone else or or where you work or or where you go. And I i just thinking about imagine this. Just think for a second that you just forget going out and getting that expensive gift at Nordstrom's this year, okay? I want to free you from having to trek through all kinds of malls to find just the right perfect gift, and I would love to free you from any further debt that you might incur and just tell you, here's a gift that you should give. It's really not very, it's not going to cost you a lot. Except for your life. Or you say, presence of God, I want you to live in me and fill me and move through me. It will cost you in this sense of saying, may my will be your will. And may your will be done through me. See, the central truth of Christmas is that God himself It's called the Incarnation. He actually came into this world in order to um, bring light to each and every person. And so the, the, the points that I want to make this morning are really pretty simple. They're pretty basic. And the first is this, that God punched a hole through the darkness in this world through Jesus Christ himself. That's what Christmas is all about. It's this fact that God punches a hole in the darkness through Jesus. The Apostle John begins his gospel with no birth narratives. He explains Isaiah's statement that the people are walking in darkness, have seen a great light. And he uses it in this way. He says these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's established the fact that Jesus, who is the Word, who is the expression of the heart of God, is God. And then verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So this God is not only the light. He's the creator of all light. He's the creator of everything. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And Kesha verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because Jesus, at that point in history, God Himself incarnated, entered into our world, punched a hole in the darkness of our sin and our own sense of, of stubbornness where we walk and move away from God and, and don't know the presence of God in our life. And he goes on, he says, "There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's now referring to John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He was basically, I think he's saying, a night light. This little light pointing, because he goes on to say, he came only as a witness. He, He came as one to point to. He punched a little hole in the darkness for the big hole of darkness that would be punched into by the light of Christ himself. And so what we have here is the story of before the world, um, before Jesus entered this world, there's a sense of darkness and and, and darkness began all the way back in, in, in really from the time of David on. The, the people of Israel kept just constantly wandering and moving away from God and every once in a while the presence of God would be there. And then eventually they came to the point where God just continued through their own sin, their sin darkened their life. And as that happened, they came to a place where at a certain point, some 400 years before Christ, as the dimmer switch was going down, he finally turned it off completely. It was dark dark for 400 years. They were people walking in darkness without spiritual understanding, without the light of God in his presence, without God speaking through prophets, without God coming in ways where they would acknowledge and see his presence. If it happened, it was probably not recorded. It was probably in small and few places. But scripture says it was dark. And and that's kind of what our life can be like at times as we go through life. And you may have been at a. a, a In a place, you may be there right now. In fact, where God is kind of through um, giving you lots of gifts and natural talents and all kinds of things, but He He's slowly dimming things. And when He does that, He does that not because He's trying to hurt you; He's trying to cause you pain, but He just wants your attention. He wants you to see Him. So throughout this message, I'm going to um, uh, kind of weave a video story and then in, in, in share the story and comment on it. And we're going to go through this message. And so I want you to hear the story of someone whose light was being dimmed in their life.
1: I had two extremely loving parents. Uh, they sent uh, me and my siblings to uh, Catholic school growing up. You know, it was it was great. We learned a lot about the Bible um, I felt like I, I learned a lot of Jesus' story, but definitely didn't know Him. You know, going, going to bed every night I would pray, um, you know, I would go to church, do the right thing. I would uh, ask for forgiveness for my sins and, you know, do the, do the repentance and go to confession and all those things that you do uh, in, in the Catholic Church. And High school came around and I had a lot of success with sports early and was on the team with these older guys. Uh, They introduced me to the drinking, the smoking, the girls. And as a 15-year-old, there's nothing cooler, (laughs) you know, or so it seemed. My passion was the sports, and then actually ended up coming up here to play golf at the university. Shortly into my collegiate experience, I, uh, this, this girl I was dating for three years in, in high school, and I broke up. That, that was difficult, and then it was a week, a week later, uh, one of my close friends in high school who went to school, they actually committed suicide. Then it was a week later that another friend of mine uh, passed away in his apartment of random heart failure. It was just pretty uh, devastating
0: and first part of the story is 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 basically about the fact that you know here's someone walking through life, very talented, gifts and abilities, good things, finding life and things, and and then all of a sudden God starts kind of turning some lights out, like getting a hold of his heart. The first command in in the Old Testament is kind of interesting because God says. You know, I really want to put a foundation under your feet such that, that you will live in my life. You'll draw your life from me, not from the things that you have or things around you, but you'll find your life in me that I will personally relate to you and live with you and walk with you. And the more that you walk with me, the more my presence fills you, the more light fills your being. And so he says, so what I want you to do is not put anything ahead of me, before me. And, and, and we read that sometimes as God kind of being like an egomaniac who, who really wants just all our attention or something. And he doesn't really do it for that reason. The reason God says, I want you to put me first is because... When push comes to shove and you're in those situations, when when you start experiencing these difficult things and, and you think you can get your life from here, and you start to feel like, you know, the, the party scene or this scene or that scene isn't giving the life I want. You know, I really thought if I just became, you know, the executive of the company or, if, or somehow if I just had a family, if I had these things, that's my life. And all of a sudden, somehow something happens and, and, and some of the lights start going out in your life and you start going, God, what are you doing? And what God really wants is for us to find our foundation, who we are in Him. And the reason He allowed things to get dark for a period of time is He let people walk in darkness so that darkness would begin to get their attention. Their attention would be gotten, so to speak, so that when it came time for Him to come, He would punch us this huge hole of light so that all would look at Him and go, that's life! I want that! I want you. I want to know you. I want to live with you. I want this presence in my life. I was thinking about this and, and, and as I was thinking about it, uh, there was a Bible verse that it, it stuck out to me that's always kind of been intriguing to me. It's found in Exodus chapter 10 verse 21. And it's a story of Moses and Pharaoh. And, and Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, you know, let my people go. He wants to show the glory of God. And Moses it comes with, with trepidation to, to bring plague after plague. And the plagues are meant in the sense they're, they're kind of like turning off the lights. It's dimming it so that, that somehow Pharaoh's attention would be gotten. And so he comes along and finally there's these plagues going on. And then there's the plague of what is called the locust. And it gets his attention for just a bit. The Pharaoh kind of is beginning to start to wonder. And then it says that once again, his heart was hardened. And then you read in 1021, this this verse, which intrigues me. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. So here's another plague. But here's the words that really intrigue me. Darkness. Darkness that can be felt you ever thought of that i mean i wrote in my margin what does it mean that darkness is felt have you experienced that in your life well i asked if we could just turn off the lights here and we'll get a partial darkness here not a real just like this this gives you just a partial darkness and if i was asked you to kind of open a book now and read it you'd have trouble right and if I, if I was asked you to take some notes or something like that, you'd have difficulty doing that. If it was really dark in here and I said, you know, would you turn and, 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 and greet someone, you'd have trouble. And, and if I said, you know, we need to leave at this moment and thank you for coming. you If you on your major way out and it was really, really dark in here, you would end up feeling the darkness, right? Because you would probably bump into people or bump into one of these stationary pews. But see, with light, so as light comes, light introduces the ability for you to see and to navigate and to move through life and and what what the lord god is saying through through the idea of punching a hole in the darkness through Jesus, is that I came so that you could have life, so you didn't have to live in darkness, that I could begin to spiritually, through you, begin to open up your eyes to see and to, to understand the, the things that are deeper in the Spirit, for you to understand what it means to be a loving and, and good and, and, and a, a kind and, and generous person, that I could begin to transform who you are by the light of my presence within you. And so, we celebrate Christmas because it's Jesus coming and punching a hole. In the darkness. I'm going to ask you to continue to listen to this story as the light continues to get darker.
1: I kind of just kept going on. I kept partying, going to class, just doing well enough to to get by. The school was coming fairly easy to me. It wasn't until I was home for winter break that uh, I was with one of my friends and we were at a movie store. And we were going to rent a movie, and all, and all of a sudden, it was like uh, everything kind of felt black, and my lips were tingling, and uh, I just felt, I felt like I'm dying. I was freaking out, and my friend calls the ambulance. They get there. They, they check my vitals, and they say, you know, you, you, you're fine. We're not sure what happened. The next night, something similar happens as I'm driving on a country road by myself. We call the ambulance. They come. and. And they're like, oh, we're fine. And this happened to you last night or whatever? They're like, it sounds like a panic attack. I had no idea what those were. I started being extremely anxious. I mean, my vision was blurry. Uh, I felt sick to my stomach 24-7. I couldn't sleep, couldn't stay awake. Uh, it it let, started leading to depression. It was hard to get out of bed. It felt like the closest thing to hell that I can imagine. I kept going to school. I had this, this stats class. Um, and it was at eight in the morning and I never made it. And it, it was the, f- the day of the first midterm. I walk in and to the professor's office right before the test and I was like, look, uh, professor, I, I can't take your test. Um, I haven't been to your class because I've been going through some stuff. I haven't been able to sleep. I'm just not prepared. In fact, I need to use my one-time withdrawal. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll do that for you. Um, you can definitely use your one-time withdrawal. I'm sorry you're going through that. And he said, but that's not what you need. And he shuts my stats book and he just pulls out the Bible and puts it on the table. And he's like, this is what you need. Yes, this is it. Like, God's grabbing onto me and he's telling me, come on this journey with me. Uh, And I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you fall. Uh, And there's more. I'm I'm real and I want to be a real part of your life. Here is God turning off
0: some of the lights, things that might be natural places to find security. I mean, vision's a good thing, right? Not feeling anxious is a good thing. I, I was this week when I was, when I was um, preparing this message, I was, I was in the uh, Old Testament book called Zephaniah, which is found in the Minor Prophets. And I bring up Minor Prophets because some of you who took on Wednesday night the Bible basic class, you know where the Minor Prophets are now. Some of you may need to take that class. Anyway, Zephaniah, I'm reading it. It's just a three-chapter book. It's about these people, the, Israel and the nations around them and their pride. And he says, seek humility and righteousness. And God is going to do everything he can to draw them to himself so that he can, in the midst of their own choice of darkness, begin to penetrate light. At one point in, in chapter 3, verse 6, these words... Grabbed hold of me, and I started writing about him. And it says that God has. Dem- he says, "I have demolished their strongholds." It's an interesting thing. The word stronghold, because the word stronghold is this idea. It's a place where you are held secure, and where you find your life, and where you find light, where you are, where you, in a sense, you know, on good foundation. And he says, "I'm going to destroy these foundations." Now, now, often if you're a person who has read much of the Bible, when we think about strongholds, you don't think about strongholds as being a good thing. You see, in in the New Testament, we talk about strongholds where those are the places that that Satan gets a hold of you and keeps you from really finding your life in God, keeps you from things that are really good. It's it's a stronghold keeps you from trusting God. A stronghold can keep you stuck in a pattern of sin due to a, a belief that you have that is false. Strongholds in the New Testament, often we refer to those things that keep you from experiencing the love of Jesus due to some kind of unhealed wound and a lack of forgiveness. And so we think of strongholds in that way. But what I found is interesting here, he's using the word stronghold in a very positive way. He says, you know, there's some places that you've been pleading your feet where you've been kind of protecting yourself, and and yet I'm going to demolish those for your good. And I was thinking about that, and it made me think of 1 Samuel 22. I remember one time when I was studying the life of David... And so kinda hang with me here for a second because I wanna explain to you what God is doing and maybe doing in your life, okay? It says, David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam. He's running away from Saul. Saul has thrown a couple of spears at him. And now it's Jonathan comes to him. And you know, if you're going to live, you better get out of Israel. You better get out of Jerusalem. You better go on the run because Saul's jealous and he wants your life. And so he runs away from Saul and he's running away from Saul. He takes his family with him because you don't want to leave them behind because then he'll take them captive. He'll use them as a, you know, that whole thing. You, you know what that's like. So he's running away from it. It says when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him there. And all those who were in distress, people who were in a similar situation as David or in debt or discontented, all the mal everything gather around David and he becomes their commander. About 400 of them are with him. And so David does an interesting thing here in verses two through four. It says from there, David went to Mitzvah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab. And so the idea is, he says, King, would you take care of my family and protect them? And and I'm going to buy, I'll I'll pay for this protection while I go on the run. And it says what he does. He goes back, it says, and he stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. What was the stronghold? It's down in the southern part of Israel. It's in this place where he's in the caves. He's still a part of Israel. He hasn't left the territory, but he's in these strongholds, places of security, places where he is feeling, feeling safe. He thinks he's actually with God. He's doing what God wants. He's in these safe places. Now, catch this. He's saying, God, what do you want me to do? And the prophet Gad says to David, don't stay in the stronghold. What? He says, no, no, don't stay in the stronghold. In fact, what I want you to do is go to the land of Judah. And and David willingly chooses to follow the Word of God, leaves the stronghold, goes to a place. And in your mind, what I think David might be thinking or what you might be thinking is, are you kidding? I'm going to leave these caves where I'm protected. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to go out in the plain old area of Judah where I can easily be found and caught. And God saying, yeah, because what I want to teach you is this. These caves, although they're good, is not what you should be putting your hope in. I want to teach you now What you need to know, and that is my hope, your hope, complete confidence has to be in me and that I will protect you and care for you. You may be having some things in your life that God is putting the dimmer switch to that has gotten dark. And they're not bad things. They're really good things. And it's not so much that you get a lot of light there, but what God is doing in this process is getting your attention. As He's getting your attention, He's moving you to a place because He wants you to know that your full confidence and hope can be in Jesus and Jesus alone. And it may seem weird, it may not seem like in your mind does this make a lot of sense, but God loves you so much, God loves His church so much, He says do not put your confidence in anything but in one thing, and that's in Jesus. Because God, through Jesus, punched a hole in the darkness so that we could know Him and walk with Him and be the light of the world through His light in us. Now, if God punches a hole through the darkness through Jesus, that's the primary thing that happens in the Incarnation. Here's a really cool thing. God is continually punching holes in the darkness as he allows other people to come into our lives. Think about it for a second. David has Gad. Gad comes to him and says, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to move from here. And David does it. Moses comes to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh doesn't want to listen. Pharaoh wants to stay in darkness. If I look into that story that we just heard. I was amazed. What was really cool about this is not only God punching a hole in the darkness in this one person's life, but a professor from the University of Minnesota of all places, and beyond that, a stats professor what can you stats what's good stats anyway, um, has the guts and courage to say, "Look at." You know, I could go over the stats book and help you get a good grade, but your life isn't in these grades. Your life isn't in, this, in, in your golfing and your other abilities. Your life isn't going to be in Jesus. And here's the book that will really help you understand it. And so he gives him the Word of God. And he punches a hole in the darkness. God uses someone else. Now, everybody think about it for a second. There's probably not a person here who hasn't had someone else come into their life And do just that punch holes in your own darkness at a certain time in your life. And what I really challenge you to think about this Christmas is, is how important that was to you. And maybe even think about it and go, you know, God, there was a time maybe 20 years ago where there was a significant thing. And I I just want to I just want to thank that person. Or maybe it's been this past year, someone's come along in the midst of a time where things have gotten dim and God's been kind of turning the light off so that He can bring a greater light of His presence within you. And that person has stepped in and they have given you through encouragement or through um, a word that needed to be said or just come around you and loved you. They've been kind. I think in my own life, and there's been times in my own life where I just go, I am so grateful that God had placed other people in my life, and all, some of it's been in the church. When I was in second grade, I remember going to a, a vacation Bible school where they get a bunch of kids for a week, and you sit there for like about 8 to noon or 9 to noon, whatever it was. And I remember one guy came and he taught on a flannel graph board. Anybody remember flannel graphs? Yeah, and, and <laughs> it, it was not high-tech in any means. But he told about the story of Daniel and he told about the story of Daniel and I don't know what was going on in my heart, but I do know this, that that person punched a hole right into my life and the presence of God came in such a way that was so powerful because he said, just dare to be a Daniel. The whole lesson was dare to be a Daniel. And in my little heart, no one else knew it, but I said, God, I want that. I had a seventh grade teacher who was not a great teacher in the sense of communicating things, except for one thing. I mean, I was a 7th grader, and i got to tell you, I have this theory that you should probably not try and teach 6th and 7th graders anything, especially boys. It, it's like, what are, you, are you crazy? You know, my theory is this. You run them for about 45 minutes to an hour. They're so tired, they're just sitting there, just exhausted, and you look at them and go, God loves you. That's it. That's the lesson. I got done and years later, like a seed plant in my heart, like this kind of bomb that went off much later, this delayed kind of explosion in my heart. And I look back and I go, I don't remember anything except for this guy loved me. I think of my grandmother and some of you who are grandparents and, you know, when Dick Folk was here and he spoke, you know, the one, the message that was like this, that's when they refer to it about loving God, loving others. When he spoke, we asked him a question when I had lunch with him afterwards about what he was doing with his life right now. He said, one of the things I'm really doing with my life right now is concentrating on my grandkids. Because I go around and I talk to people and I ask them, what is one of the greatest influences in your life? He says, time and again, people will tell me, my grandparent. I remember when I was in college and I was in this time and I was really, I'd just gone through a deep depression and, and, and I was trying to work through different things. And I would go to my grandmother's house on Sunday nights and on Sunday nights I'd go there to study. But I ended up just talking with her and her influence on my life. I'm so grateful for. Her. My guess is every one of you could come up here and share how someone has punched a hole in the darkness of your life at a time that's made a big difference. I just really want to encourage you to think about what. What might God want you to do to respond to someone? How might he want you to make a difference by just saying thanks and recognizing that? So as the story goes on, I'll let the story tell itself.
1: And so I started going back to this professor, not for statistics, but for, we started reading in the book of John. And he started showing me like what the living God looks like. Uh, it wasn't like... You know in, in one moment, everything was better. But over time, you know I, I mentioned that my vision was blurry. Uh, I was feeling nauseous, whatever, with this with this anxiety. As I would read, the clearer my vision became, the less anxious I felt. At the end of that semester, I ended up being baptized in a in a horse trough. Since then, it's it's been a journey. It's not like um, I've walked this straight and narrow all the time. Uh, but sometimes I think I'm thankful for my story too, and and the reason is is I feel like I, I really get to understand how deep and great God's grace is. You know, I'm I'm a work in progress. Uh, I keep going. I keep my head up, and uh, you just you try to get better each day, and you fight and leaning on Him is your cornerstone. Um, you just you can't go wrong.
0: What I love about what was said there is it reminds me of John being a, a nightlight to Jesus. We're, you know, like he said, I'm still on a journey and, and God's got, you know, helped me with my vision. and was starting to move in my life. But what's been really needed is the grace of God. And I understand that and growing in my understanding. And I'm not perfect in any way. And God never expects any of us to be perfect lights. What I really love about the story of Simeon, which we talked about last week, is this, uh, this person who's waiting for the consolation or the help of Israel is what happens in his story. At one point, he says that he's waiting for the help of Israel. But as you go on, what I, I think is so cool is this, that he doesn't stay in this position of just help me, help me, help me. People punch holes of light into my life. God continue to do this. But at a certain point, he says in the song, he gets it and he goes for the, my eyes in Luke chapter two, verse 30 and 32 for my eyes, is seen senior salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light, For the revelation to the Gentiles. I get why you came, Jesus. You came for me. You came for Israel. You came to help us. But you didn't just come to help us. You came to make us light so that we could help others. And so the reality is that Jesus came in a time in history and punched a hole in the darkness for this whole world. And, and has done it so that you can personally have a relationship with him. And he's used other people in your life to punch holes in darkness. But he does it all so that we will at some point move beyond ourselves. And recognize, it's not about us. It's about what we do for others. It's about what God has made us for, that we can be those kind of lights. Jesus looked out at all the people who were with him one day after the Sermon on the Mount, He looks at them and he goes, guess what? You are the light of the world. Go out. And spread this light. Carry my presence. Begin to take in my presence so that the more presence that I have within you, the greater you will shine. The greater glory will be seen. And and allow for people to speak light into yourself. And so that as that begins to happen, the whole purpose of this is what God wants to do. He wants to use you. He wants to use this church to be a light to the rest of the world. And, and I look at Simeon, he could have just gone, oh, thank you, God, you promised me this and you gave me this help and I'm ready, but he doesn't. He goes, this was meant for everyone. And he testifies to the world with that. That's why I like what Rick Warren has to say. I've read this before a few weeks back, but I'll read it again. He says, here's the purpose. The striking first words of the purpose of life is this paragraph. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, and even your happiness. It's greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And that purpose is to actually carry the presence of God in a way that you're able to bring light to the world. I love the way the message says this, you are the light of the world verse. It says, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not to be a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as a public as a city on a hill. If if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to be open with God, this generous Father in heaven. And so, you know, there's no mistake where God has placed you, the people he's put around you. There's no mistake. If you're willing to and you're in a relationship with Jesus, you know him personally, as, as we've heard in this story, and, and you've had people come into your life and, and, and they've given light, you have the opportunity by the Spirit of God to begin to, where you're at, be a lamplighter, be a light to people to actually punch a hole in their darkness. Well, I've asked um, Aria and Rachel if they would come up, and, and I just want, can we thank them for sharing their story um, with us? So first service I told um, I, I mentioned to Rachel, I said, Rachel, I'm going to share a little something about you that you have no idea, but now you do. So you feel a little better this time? Okay. <laughs> I was—I had this opportunity as a pastor. I go on, on hospital visitations from time to time. And so I was um, at the Children's Hospital in St. Paul, and I was there to visit Jordan Dunaway. And Jordan was in a situation where she was really needing medical help. And, and so I went to the hospital, and I got the room number, and I went up to the floor I was supposed to go, and I went to the room that I thought was the room, and it wasn't the room. And, and I have to be honest with you, I'm always a little intimidated by the nurse's station. Anyone else feel that way from time to time? Now, and, and I'll tell you why I'm intimidated. I came to this one. It's a really big one. There are like five or six nurses there. And I know this. They're overworked. They're just intent trying to get things done, and they have people's lives in their hands, and they're trying to keep people healthy and also happy. That's a hard job. And so I come up there, and I'm just going, oh, man, should I go back downstairs? But I, I say to the station where they're just intent I said can can someone tell me where Jordan Donovan's room is quiet and, and then I said it again you know um, I'm looking for Jordan Donovan's room does anybody know where that is quiet and I'm about to say it a third time and I look over and here um, is Rachel and she so kindly says you know I'll, I'll help you find what you're looking for. And so she brings me to Jordan's room, and we're standing outside Jordan's room, and Rachel looks at me and goes, are you the pastor at A Free? Come on, I'm not known at St. Paul Children's Hospital. That's what I'm thinking. And, and then uh, she goes, you know what? My husband and I have been coming to the church for the past year and, and just was grateful for that. And I thought, that's cool. But here's what the point is. You punched a hole in my little sense of fear and darkness by just being kind and good. And it really meant a lot to me. That's all we're asking people to do. It's not a big deal. It's about being in relationship with God. And and, and the incarnation means allowing yourself to enter into someone else's world, kind of understand what's going on, and just be present with them there. So thank you for doing that And Aria, thank you for sharing your story. We so much appreciate you guys. Thank you. God bless you.